Good morning, Internet. Welcome to another episode of the Internet Movie Firearms Podcast. And I am your host, Dr. Gary. Or shall I refer to myself this episode as Pittsburgh? Because we are reviewing the 2009 hit movie Zombieland, where real names are banned. As always, I am your resident movie and firearm enthusiast, but as I always say, I am not an expert. These are all my opinions and my opinions alone, and go ahead and get yourselves a second one and a couple disclaimers out of the way as usual. I don't go off notes, I don't have a script or anything like that, I just have a couple tabs open that you will hear me click, so don't take this as gospel and don't chase me down if I get something not exactly 100% right. As I said, we're going over Zombieland from 2009, getting back to the zombies. Now, with this movie and all my movie podcasts, I like to break it down into three separate acts. Um, because it is a movie podcast, the first act is going to be talking about the movie, a trivia of the movie, anything like that. Second act is going to be talking about the guns of the movie, how they use the guns in the movie. And act three, as always, is my favorite. If I had a magic movie ticket like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Last Action Hero, what guns would I bring to the movie? So let's get to it. Like I said, 2009 Zombieland, starring Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone, and Abigail Breslin. In the movie, they don't go by any names at all. They go by the city that they are from. That way, they don't get too connected to anybody. Um, and I probably will mess up the names that they come from. So Jesse Eisenberg plays the, you know, witty ish fun dorky nerd character who doesn't have good survival skills but has good one-liners throughout the movie goes by the name of columbus woody harrelson's character who's the tough guy usual macho man you know more one-liners a little bit more simple-minded shall we say goes by the name of tallahassee and sisters Emma Stone and Abigail Breslin playing Wichita and Little Rock, respectively. And I'll kind of talk with them as a pair because they are sisters and they're kind of con artists. And they have a cat and mouse game with Columbus and Tallahassee throughout the movie until they all become buddies at the end. So like I said, we're getting back to zombies here a little bit. And this one's more of a fun zombie flick because it is a post-apocalyptic zombie comedy. Um... Before I get into the filming too much, it's very lighthearted, doesn't take itself too seriously, and it's a it's a road trip movie, so good, clean, fun, all around. But let's talk about the production a little bit before I get into the plot. So I mentioned that the actors in it uh, do a fine job, you know, their comedic timing is good. I have no complaints as far as acting goes. Obviously, this isn't going to be an Oscar-worthy drama, so you get what you pay for. It is directed by Ruben Fleischer, I believe is how you say it, and this was his first movie, uh, which is kind of cool to see what he's done since. So he did Zombieland in 2009, then he went on to do the sequel of Zombieland in, in 2019, um, which for sure I will be getting to at one point. Um, but he also did 30 Minutes or Less, which is kind of, I think it's a stoner comedy. I haven't watched that one, but it has... Um, Danny McBride in it, and Jesse Eisenberg again, Aziz Ansari, and Nick Swartzen. Um, but he did Gangster Squad, which isn't, I don't think is a comedy. I, it's been a while if I 
Emma Stone's in that one, so yeah, I guess he likes to work with the same actors, and he did Venom, so kind of going from this is his first thing has gone on to other things, and it was written by, um, co-written, I guess you could say, uh, by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, or Wernick, um, they did some other stuff that you may recognize as well, I think this was one of their first big ones, what did they do, they did Zombieland, G.I. Joe Retaliation, which I think is the one where they got rid of Channing Tatum and The Rock becomes the hero, but I, I don't remember. I'm not real a big fan of G.I. Joe's. Um, Life, which is a sci-fi horror movie, but Deadpool and Deadpool 2. So, realistically, uh, Zombieland and Deadpool are what you're going to recognize those writers from. So, I think as far as writing goes and being funny with the genre... Good job. Um, I'm alluding to it already, but as as a movie, I give this one... Let's go with an A-. You know, as far as post-apocalyptic action movies go, there's fun action, you know, a little absurd, but it's a good time. The joke's pretty good. I, I think the rewatch quality is there. I've seen this movie. I own it. It's a, it's a buy movie for me. Yeah, I, I'd say give it a solid A-. Um, if you like comedies, if you like... A post-apocalyptic zombie stuff then 100% stream it rent it buy it um i think again the rewatch quality is there and that's kind of the key to a good buy movie so a minus for me i like it all around good acting good writing the filming is is what you would expect you know this isn't an oscar worthy movie or anything like that this is just one that rakes in the money because it had a budget of 23.6 million dollars and pulled in $102 million, so pretty profitable, and I'm really surprised it took so long for a sequel to come out, because as I alluded to, um, this one came out in 2009, the sequel took a decade to come along, I also like the sequel, sequels with comedies are kind of tricky, and I think they did a, a good job with the sequel too, so eventually I'll get to that podcast one day, but for now we will skip out on that. Um, a couple things, let's, let's get into the plot first, because everything else I talk about, it'd be better to know what I'm talking about if you haven't seen this movie. So the movie centers around Jesse Eisenberg's character, Columbus, and he's kind of a lonely nerd, right? You know, living in his dorm and the zombie outbreak happens uh, because of a strain of mad cow disease. Side note. During, oh, what one was it? The World War Z podcast, I said, oh, they use rabies. And uh, they said virus. I'm pretty sure it's a bacteria. I was completely wrong. I should know better. Rabies is a virus. Um, Matt Cow disease, though, is a weird one uh, because it uses misfolded proteins known as prions or prions. I don't know a lot about Matt Cow disease is a, is a bizarre disease. Um, so when it comes to the origin of zombies, a lot of weird things could cause things. So I'm going to be getting off in the weeds here, but mad cow disease um, by its fancy name is BSE or bovine spongiform encephalopathy, which I hate trying to say encephalopathy. I read it every day, but I can never ever say it out loud easily. I have to think about it. I'm giving a report on somebody. I'm like, Oh my gosh, don't screw it up. Don't, don't, don't struggle. You know, it'd be my worst nightmare. It'd be like aluminum, cinnamon, encephalopathy. Hey, I did it. Um, so it, it's a very bizarre disease where 
if you feed cows to themselves, they that disease, that misfolded protein passes on, and you get all these neurogenerative symptoms. Um, it's bizarre, and I guess humans can get it. I think it's only like four cases a year, or five. It's under a dozen cases a year where it happens, and there was a big case in 2017 in the UK, and you know it always made me nervous because I used to eat bovine. Um, 100% beef aminos as for amino acid blends. So it always made me nervous to be like, oh my goodness, am I going to get the bad proteins and turn into a zombie? Um, so getting back to it, mad cow disease mutates and, you know, I guess what from a gas station hot dog is what the movie jokes about. Side note, it's been a little bit since I've seen this movie, but a mutated hot dog and then everybody turns into zombies. So Jesse Eisenberg Columbus is in his dorm room and the zombie outbreak happens, and then he decides he needs to travel from Austin, Texas to Columbus, Ohio to see if his parents are alive. Along the way, he runs into Tallahassee, who is Woody Harrelson's character, who, you know, bad boy, you know, country kind of boy in the movie. I think more cowboyish is the best way to put it. Pretty cowboy. Takes him along begrudgingly. So Columbus is trying to go to... Ohio to visit his parents, see if they're alive. Woody Harrelson's whole role throughout the movie is looking for Twinkies because that's all he wants to do. Along the way, they run into the duo of Wichita and Little Rock and find out that they're con artists. And those two girls are trying to make their way to California to go to an amusement park, I believe. So it's a road trip movie. Adventure ensues. A little bit of double crossing with Emma Stone and Abigail Breslin's characters, Wichita and Little Rock, taking all the stuff from Woody Harrelson. And eventually they get in a jam and they all get back together again. And fun, fun movie. Another cool thing about the movie is they go to Hollywood at some point because they decide to get sidetracked and they run into Bill Murray, who they think is a zombie, but it's not a zombie. So a nice little cameo by Bill Murray. And then at the end of the movie, they go, they make it to Pacific Playland, um, the amusement park that they all wanted to go to. And the climax of the movie happens as... And then everybody kind of leaves as a big happy family after it's all said and done. So, again, comedy road trip movie in the setting of um, post-apocalyptic world. A fun thing about the movie is the the Columbus character, Jesse Eisenberg, as a big old nerd, has a list of rules to keep him alive. And it's, it's a shtick or a gag, if you will. Um, but I did find a list of all of his rules. Most of them are pretty dumb. Some of them are, are good. So I'll go through the list of 33 things very quickly. So number one, cardio. They use that quite a bit in the movie and talking about it. Like you got to be quick on your feet. Number two, double tap. So don't be greedy with your ammo. If you put a zombie down, make sure it's down. Number three, beware of bathrooms, which there's like a clown scene with a bathroom. Uh, number four, seatbelts, which they use as a gag because they hit the brakes and a zombie flies out of the seat or something like that. Uh, number five, no attachments, hence the names. Six, cast iron skillet. Seven, travel light. Eight, get a kick-ass partner. Nine, with your bare hands. I don't know what that means. Ten, don't swing low. I'm guessing that has to do with melee combat. Um, Eleven, use your feet. Twelve, bounty paper towels. Maybe that's product placement, but I don't remember that being in the movie. Uh, oh, it's missing some goes from 12 to 14 so eh. 15 is bowling ball 17 is don't be a hero but then is later changed to be a hero at later on in the movie 18 is a limber up which is funny because he stretches before he goes down a hill 19 is ziploc bags but i guess that comes from the sequel 
21 is it's a marathon not a sprint 20 another 21 avoid strip clubs 22 when in doubt know your way out 28 double knot your shoes 29 the buddy system 31 check the back seat that's used in the movie 32 enjoy the little things that's also used in the movie where they destroy like a convenience store uh, 33 swiss army knife 34 clean socks 48 hygiene and 49 always have backup i don't remember where the the sequel gets into the list a lot too with like their doppelganger characters so eh, it is what it is and wichita and little rock have their own rule trust no one just you and me which plays out as they double cross columbus and tallahassee a fun thing as far as production goes and casting I guess they were the Bill Murray cameo character, which is kind of a fun thing towards the end of the movie. They wanted to have a bunch of different celebrities be that. So I guess they're going to have a zombified dancing Patrick Swayze and then kind of use scenes from like Ghost and all that, which this would have been, I believe, after Patrick Swayze passed away. So maybe it'd be more of like a, a zombie homage Patrick Swayze. I don't know how well that would have gone over. I'm a huge Patrick Fazy, Swayze fan and a huge fan of like dark comedy. So I probably would find it hilarious, but I'm sure people out there have been really mad. Um, but I guess other versions had like Sly Stallone, Joe Pesci, Mark Hamill, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Bacon, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Matthew McConaughey. Allegedly, whoever they did have, which I don't know who it was, dropped out and Woody Harrelson made a few calls and got his buddy Bill Murray to come in and basically just improv all those scenes that Bill Murray was in. One thing I did find funny is Woody Harrelson, I, I believe, is a vegan. I don't know if he's vegetarian or vegan um, where he is on that spectrum, but I guess he had a bunch of ridiculous uh, conditions to get hired and one of them was had to be environmentally conscious set. And the director was not allowed to eat dairy products for like a week or something like that. So it's just kind of funny. Eh, I, th I think Woody Harrelson seems like a, a, a fun guy. Um, I guess they tried to cast other people too. I, oh, where was I reading that? Um, I could have messed that up. They were, I want to say they were going to cast somebody else as the two main characters, not sure. But honestly, I mean, I'm not a huge Jesse Eisenberg fan, so I think he did a good job for the role because it was very a self-deprecating role. And I love Woody Harrelson, so I think they were great for the parts. You, you, I don't think you could really replace them with anybody. Maybe if you could, eh, it is what it is. Oh, let me, I can't see where I read where they were going to hire somebody else. I can't remember who it was. Uh, I could be messing that up, though. Either way, so... That is basically Act 1, right? Like I said, I give it an A-. It's definitely worth watching, either for free or for cheap, and I'd say buy it. I think it's a great movie. You know, the action is good overall. Again, it's a comedy, but the action is fun to watch. It keeps you entertained throughout with mixture of action, jokes, adventure, yada, yada, yada. One thing I will note, too, is um, I mentioned it in the I Am Legend podcast that there was product placement for Ford. In this movie, there's definitely product placement for General Motors because, um, and he and he uses it by name. Tallahassee, uh, Woody Harrelson's character, drives a Cadillac Escalade in the beginning of the movie that has like a snow plow and he paints number three on the side. I, I would assume to Dale Earnhardt to pay, pay homage to Dale Earnhardt. Um, so he has the he talks about his caddy. I want my caddy back throughout the movie, um, and then he gets. The, the two ladies decide to steal the Escalade and he ends up finding a Hummer H2 and, you know, 
it's not like they paint over the logos or anything. They definitely acknowledge that he has a Hummer and also paints a number three on the side of that as well, which I think is great. So Ford was for I'm Legend, and now we have Chevy for Zombieland. I will say I'm more of a Ford guy than a Chevy guy. So, you know, if we get to Act 3 and we talk about cars, you know I'm going with Ford compared to Chevy. Um, Let's see. I think that is about that for act one so let's let's keep it moving and grooving uh let's get on to act two right where i talk about the guns in the movie what i will say is the guns in the movie there are a lot of prop guns um and i it's been a while so i don't remember catching it the first time i saw this movie because i think i saw this movie in theaters um I did. I definitely did, because I remember when they opened it with Metallica in the theaters with those speakers. I was like, man, that's awesome. So I didn't catch them the first time I would have seen it, and then I would have been looking at the gun pages on the internet for this movie at that point. So, yeah, I didn't catch it. There's a lot of prop guns and non-firing guns, non-guns in this movie as well. So we'll, we'll chat about that a little bit as we hit to them. I'm using the Internet Movie Firearm Database for the most part for the list of this movie. So I'm just going to go down the list. I think that's the easiest way to break this movie down. So, Act 2, let's get to it. Um, at the end of the movie, when they're at the Playland, Woody Harrelson dual wields two chrome slash nickel slash stainless steel shiny silver firearms. One is a 1911. Hand on your heart, everyone, for John Moses Browning. And the other one is a SIG P226. So, when it comes to guns, I know I kind of talk trash on 1911s because it's the trendy thing to do. They're phenomenal shooting guns. Their single action trigger is amazing. They generally recoil pretty well for a 45 ACP. Not that the 45 ACP is like a nuclear weapon, but it's a heavy bullet, so it's physics, right? They shoot nicely. But still, it is a design that was invented in 1919, and there have been significant improvement, improvements in both design and material usage for firearms, and it's just low capacity. It holds seven rounds. So as much as I do like the 1911 as a target gun, a collecting gun, an enjoyment gun, think of it as like a classic car, right? Not necessarily great for daily driving, which leads into the P226 that he uses. As always, I talk about it. The P226 basically puts Sig Sauer on the map for U.S. shooters with its competition against Beretta in the 80s for the military service gun. Again, reiterating, there was other guns in there, but those were the two leading ones, and everybody says that Beretta won via budget, but I like both SIG and Beretta. So that is what it is. As far as combat guns go, you can't really go wrong with the SIG 226. So, I mean... If, if I were in this part of the movie, I'd probably want two SIGs as opposed to a SIG in a 1911, but all the same. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, when the zombie outbreak happens and they kind of show the opening uh, montage where we see the roll number two uh, double tap, there is a Glock. A Glock is a Glock is a Glock, but it's not your normal Glock. It is a Glock non-gun, so prop gun that they use which makes sense because she basically executes a zombie so you're not going to have like a blank firing gun that close range because blanks still have force coming out of them um which a uh, little bit of trivia so the movie the crow which was uh bruce lee's kid what was his was it jason scott lee 
died and everybody said it was because he had a blank firing gun i think what happened was they had a dummy round in a gun and then they put blanks in it so then the blank shot the dummy round out so it basically turned it into a muzzle loader i believe is what happened with him so with these movies now obviously big budget movies are going to have a very good prop department and armors on set but i'm sure because of a death in a movie they lock it down pretty good so yeah if you're going to be executing somebody it's not going to be a real gun or even a blank firing gun um, there's some SIG and 1911 blank and non-firing guns like I talked about last. There is a Beretta 92, but it's on a quick cut scene and it's on the ground. So I won't go too much into Berettas like I always do, but it was the military service handgun from like 1985 to what, 2017 when SIG replaced it, but not the P P226, the SIG 320, which became the M17. So there is a Beretta. Um, there's a Walter PPK slash S, which I think is for stainless, um, used by Wichita, Emma Stone. Whenever she kind of hijacks one of their vehicles, she, she uses it at her sidearm. So, um, the, the Walter PP, PPKs are pretty cool. You know, that's James Bond's gun, right? And they came in 380 ACP, which is, you know, or nine millimeter Kurs if we're over in Europe. So a shortened version of your usual, think, combat 9mm, uh, or I think 32 as well, 32 ACP. So decent concealable gun, but not the most powerful. I wouldn't consider it a combat handgun, but they definitely are classy, and I've never owned one, but I've always liked them. Uh, side note, if you want a cheap knockoff version of the PPK and can't afford a PPK, go ahead and get yourself a Bursa. I think the Bursas from Argentina are supposed to be actually, looks exactly the same and shoots similar ammo, but I think the Bursas are supposed to actually run better than the Walthers. I think the Walthers sometimes can cause some jams, but again, I, I never owned one. Um, throughout the movie, and this is the first movie I've seen this gun in, and I love it, Benelli M4 Super 90. So we're talking 12-gauge tactical combat shotgun, semi-automatic. Um, Benelli's are known to be one of the better, if not the best, combat shotgun, um, especially in semi-auto. So whenever, in the movie, whenever Tallahassee's caddy gets stolen, he loses all of his guns. They end up coming across a Hummer with an arsenal in the back, and he says something like, Thank God for rednecks! Um, and that's where he gets that shotgun. And, and there's pictures of it on inter Internet Movie Firearm Database, but it's very iconic of him walking from the Hummer up to the caddy where there was an ambush that the girls, you know, the girls hijacked their car, then they set up an ambush and, yeah, re-hijack them. So, of him walking down the highway with it, which is a pretty cool scene, and very gratuitous shots of the Benelli M4, and if I had to pick a semi-auto shotgun, probably my favorite one. There is, at the end of the movie, after Bill Murray's house, after the Bill Murray incident, um, Tallahassee does use two... Mossberg 500 Mariner cruisers. So Mariner is going to be the nickel coating. So silver. Um, and the cruiser is going to be the pistol grip with the shorter tactical barrel. So he keeps them on on his back. Uh, what? I can't remember. what uh, Scabbard. Man, my vocabulary is not working well today. So he keeps them on his back on a, like as a scabbard. Um, very much uh, Hot Fuzz-esque, if you will. 
I also find it funny, I guess, I think they got the guns from Bill Murray's house, and Bill Bur- Murray must like silver weapons or something, because the 1911, the SIG, and now both Mossbergs were all like chrome-plated or nickel-plated of some sort, so all silver colored to make them pretty. Um, so he uses those in the movie. Again, pistol grip shotguns, if something's real close and you're not aiming, you know, if we're talking like a couple feet away, not a bad choice, but if you're going to try to aim with one of those, you're going to break your wrist and then smack in your face or something like that. Um, I've never really been a fan of shooting pistol grip shotguns um, if I had the the option to have a longer one, right? And how they use it in the movie, it wouldn't really be a... Use that as a primary weapon roll, which I don't think a pistol grip shotgun would be good for that. You see a Mossberg Model 88... The, the Mossberg Maverick 88 uh, is used by Wichita, Emma Stone's character. Um, and it has a vertical foregrip and a weapon light on it. Um, the Mossbergs... So, whenever we're talking about Mossberg shotguns, you generally have three different levels of pump Mossberg shotguns. You have the cheapest base model version is the Mossberg Maverick 88, right? I want to say part of it is made in like Mexico or something like that. So it's slightly cheaper than the 500, even though it uses mostly Mossberg 500 parts and the safety is slightly different. It's more Remington style. So a great budget shotgun. If you can't afford a shotgun and you don't know what to get, the Maverick 88 from Mossberg is not a bad choice. Then one step above that, not very big step, but one step above that is the 500, which is kind of their standard, right? Pump action shotgun. Again, if we're talking shotguns, you mostly have Remington 870s and Mossberg 500s are going to be the two most popular that you see in movies and in real life. So, you know, Mossberg 88 and Mossberg 500, I want to say there might be like a $50 to $100 difference if you're buying them at the store. And then you have the Mossberg 590, which is a premium version of the 500. And I think it uses metal and different metals instead of plastics or aluminum. I can't remember the differences. It's just that's the military one, right, is the 590. So if you wanted a shotgun, you really can't go wrong with Mossbergs. They all run pretty well, but just knowing that the Maverick 88 is the budget version, the Mossberg 500 is the standard version, and the more premium version is the 590. Um, Jesse Eisenberg's character, Columbus, Ohio, uses a double-barrel coach gun... um, It's hammerless. I believe it's hammerless. I'm trying to look through the pictures here. I don't remember having a hammer. Um, But he uses double barrel shotgun throughout the movie. And if you want to get off two quick shots with a shotgun close range, double barrel's not bad. Just knowing that the reload time on a double barrel shotgun is lengthy and you only have two shots before you have to reload. It is funny because after the Bill Murray incident, they're doing like a 21 gun salute style thing and they're shooting off the rounds and he shoots two and he's like, oh, wait, wait, hold on. Got to reload. So, you know, it's a gag. They, they know what they're doing in the movie as far as him having a double barrel shotgun. So, And even when other characters get more tactical stuff as they go throughout the movie, he kind of keeps that as Old Faithful. Um, I do. There's something about a double barrel coach gun that's just kind of fun. Maybe not the best zombie gun ever. I mean, they're only really going to help if you, you're fighting two or less zombies, but something classy and fun about them. Now, let's get into some technical stuff here. Submachine guns, the H&K MP7. So, German-made submachine gun, made by HK or Heckler & Koch. It shoots a very interesting round. So, it's, it looks kind of like a modern space Uzi, if you will. And in the movie, there's one on the ground from, like, the Secret Service, and then Woody Harrelson finds one in the back of the Hummer whenever he's like, Thank God for rednecks! 
And he shoots it up in the air. There's a little montage of him just blowing through ammo in the air. Um, cool gun. Definitely uh, hard to find because I have never seen one in person. I don't even know if they... I don't think they even sell to civilians. I only think they have the quote-unquote military government spec ones. Um, NHK... People have a lot of beef with them being from Germany. Their, Germany's export laws, I guess, are very frustrating. But H&K generally doesn't give their good stuff to America as far as supporting civilian shooters. So on the internet, you'll find a lot of hate for them towards that, even though they do make good stuff. But the MP7's cool because it came around like with experimental weapons. and it. Uh, the internet tells me that based on the G11, which is um, a... Exp- it came out... I think in the 70s and 80s, H&K had this experimental rifle called the G11. It looks like a giant square. It looks like an old school camcorder in a way. And it shoot these caseless ammo called the 4.73 by 25 millimeter caseless round, which was like a bullet stuffed into a little thing of like polymer explosives. Um, That's kind of making a comeback again right now with uh, the military. They're looking for various new versions of like plastic or telescoping or caseless ammunition to kind of get away from your traditional like brass or steel casing. So it it took some technology from that and it took some technology from the XM8 rifle, which kind of the XM8 rifle, when I was like in middle school, History Channel had all their gun shows and they were like hyping this up as the next replacement for the M4 and it didn't happen. And that's kind of based on the HKG-36, and it had, like, plastic melting issues or something like that. It it wasn't what it said it was going to be. So, basically, the MP7 came from two, like, experimental HK rifles, took that technology, put it into a submachine gun, and gave it a special new fancy round where it looks like a space Uzi, and it, it became whole. The HK MP7 does use a very interesting round called the HK... 4.6 4.6 by 30 millimeters. So the bullet diameter is 4.6 and the length of the case is 30 millimeter. It's a competitor to the FN. So Fabrique Nationale, they have their 5.7. So the 5.7 came about as like a, looks like a rifle round shrunk down slightly to fit in handgun platforms to be like handguns and submachine guns to be better for like armor piercing. So think like secret service, you need to get through body armor. We need something like super fast. When it comes to defeating armor, you need speed more so than weight of a bullet. Think skinny fast needles flying out is going to penetrate better than a big old cannonball going slow. So, looking at the 4.6 by 30 for the HK or the 5.7 by 28 for the FN, they're competitors. Really, there's nothing else like them other than maybe like the 22 TCM, which I'm digressing. The FN 5.7, there's not a lot of firearms that shoot the FN 5.7, other than the FN 5.7 pistol, the FN P90 submachine gun, and now the Ruger 5.7. And there's a couple AR variants that shoot 5.7. I think CMMG has one. I think Diamondback from Florida released one as well. Um, Again, we're talking February 2021, so don't hold me to to all this. So it's a competitor of the 5.7, but when you're looking at the HK mp7 with the 4.6 round their ballistics are almost the same right they're shooting very similar bullet weights from like 25 ish grains to maybe 40 grain bullets so very light bullets traveling around 2000 to 2400 feet per second bringing around 300 to 400 foot pounds of energy so very fast 
but the like fast as a rifle round with smaller weight, which brings energy around the same to like a range level nine like cheap cheap nine millimeter ammo. But again, the point is the because it's such a small diameter going so fast it can penetrate armor. However, comparing it again to the five seven, uh, a NATO group studied it to compare the two, and it looks like the five seven is about thirty percent better against like non-armored targets. So you're talking like regular humans in t-shirts and then they have, they're about equal as far as penetrating armor, but the five, seven is easier to manufacture because they use similar product lines where the 4.6 is like all proprietary all across the board. You can't use machinery for other things and kind of convert them over. So realistically, even though the performance is very similar between the 4.6 by 30 and the 5.7 by 28, the five, seven is going to be King, which is why the only gun that I know of that shoots that 4.6 round is the HK MP7. So awesome, awesome gun. I'm sure it's reliable. I'm sure it does what it needs to do. It's in a cool compact platform. However, it is a, you know, one of one type gun that may or may not have better competitors out there. So that's enough about the MP7. Uh, Woody Harrelson does use it quite a bit in the movie. Um, there's also a mare's leg in it. So when we're talking old school lever guns, if you chop off the stock and chop off the barrel to basically make it a sawed off lever gun, that's the mare's leg. So it's a Winchester 1892. It looks like it's, I'm assuming, you know, oh, hand on your heart again, everybody, John Moses Browning for the 1892. Um, the mare's leg kind of came popular in the Western TV shows of like the black and white days. And you'll still see them now as like a novelty Woody Harrelson uses it, I think, in a drop-leg holster, which is kind of neat. So, you can buy a mare's leg, and they're legally considered a pistol, so it's a lever-action pistol. Um, not really great as a rifle, not really great as a pistol, but, you know, I'm sure it's not the worst option ever, because it is a repeater, and it is compact, and you, you can get a little bit better velocity stuff if you know how to use one right or have it set up and configured properly. In the movie, uh, they don't talk about calibers or anything like that ever in the movie, but but looking at the pictures, it looks like it has a fat barrel. So I'm guessing probably 45 Colt. Um, the internet page says 44.40, but I I can't, yeah, I can't see it being a 44.40. That's not a very popular thing anymore, especially with reproductions. Most people have gone to 45 Colt now, so let's say it's that. We have a Norinco Type 84. So Norinco is a Chinese weapons maker that we really can't get in the United States anymore because of um, import bans. You can't get shotguns still from China. I talked about this in the War Dogs podcast, if anybody listens to me ramble on about import laws. Um, so it's a Chinese rifle, standard AK, except it shoots a 5.56 by 45 and you can kind of tell by looking at the magazine, it has like a straighter magazine. So it's a, a 5.56 AK. Um, it's in the beginning during the monologue with the Metallica um, not monologue, montage. And on here it says it has the pig sticker bayonet, which I've never heard it called the pig sticker, but maybe I don't really look into bayonets too much, but the Chinese and the Chinese SKSs are the same way. The bayonets that would be automatically connected to the AKs and SKSs from China, they were not blades like knives. They were like triangular spear points. And some people will argue that those are really good because if you do jab somebody with them, you can't stitch like a, a triangle or star-shaped wound as you could like a blade that would go in. Um, 
yeah, I don't know how much bayonets are actually really used with this stuff anymore. And, you know, maybe it would help to have one of those with zombies because you could kind of poke them in the head a little bit um, and not get stuck because it is a the quote-unquote pig sticker. So, yeah, Chinese 556AK. There's a Taurus Model 62C takedown. Now, the Taurus 62 is based on the Winchester 62, and the Winchester 62 is based on older designs. I want to say they're also John Moses Browning. Um, don't quote me on that. 1890 and, eight, and 1906 models were replaced. And then in, oh, what year was it? 1930s? Uh, the, the Model 62 came out. So it's a pump action 22 rifle. Rimfire. Um, not a Truly, we're talking slow-moving zombies. Not a bad option if we have to get headshots. So, I didn't touch on it too much in Act 1, but the zombies in this movie are traditional zombies. Headshots or decapitations is what you need. Generally slow-moving and bumbly, and then if they start running, they stumble at you. They're brainless mobs. Um, and if they bite you, you turn. So, when it comes to headshots and all that, the 22 maybe not a terrible choice. Maybe not be my primary, but like if we're doing driving in a Caddy or a Hummer... Where I have a lot of room, not a bad option to keep. That way you can kind of take some little bit longer distance shots, take your time, get headshots with light, easily available ammo. Um, again, in the movie it says it's a Taurus. I don't know how you would tell it's a Taurus or a Winchester. It looks exactly the same. So, eh, maybe it's a Taurus, maybe it's Winchester, maybe somebody knows something I don't know. Um, so that, as far as I can remember, is all the movies in Zombieland. And let's see how far we've been going. Oh, I'm already at 37 minutes. So let's try to wrap this up a little bit here. So, you know, good selection of modern modern handguns um, with the one bizarre anomaly being that MP7, but kind of cool that it's in there. So let's get on to Act 3. Act 3, as always, my favorite, where I get to pick what I would use from the guns in the movie or if I could bring my own, what would I use in the, the movie The Zombie or uh, Zombieland if I were in it? So, of the guns that they have, if I had to pick a primary, oh, I don't know. They don't, so when it comes to killing the zombies in the movie, like I said, headshots work. They don't really face too many mobs of zombies. Normally, they're just stragglers here and there until they get to Pacific Playland at the end, which they're fighting a horde, right? But as far as everyday survival, and this goes back to what's the best gun for zombies, um... If I had to have a primary weapon, I mean, I'm probably going to pick that Norinko 84. But one of the characters, the the uh, 556AK, none of the characters really used that. Um, so you know what? I'm going with the MP. I'm going with the MP7. Ammo is going to be impossible to find, but hopefully I have a stockpile of it because it's a movie, right? And it's a comedy movie at that, so they don't care about plot holes. So give me the MP7. Um, and then as a sidearm, let's keep it classy. Let's go with that SIG, chrome-plated SIG, um, 226. Because I don't think I picked a SIG 226 yet. So let's go with that. I'm taking the MP7 and a SIG, HK and SIG. You know, we're, we're getting a little Gucci style there with the expensive premium brands. Ooh, I also like that Benelli M4. Can I take that too? If we're in a car, right, I can have all of them. Um, but yeah, I like the honorable mentions, the Benelli M4, the Winchester pump in 22, Norinko, if I'm allowed to have that, but if not, give me the MP7 in the SIG. Now, if I could have anything, 
I'm thrust into the plot of Zombieland, hopefully have some good one-liners. I'm not going to be Woody Harrelson and do everything via melee combat, i.e. You want to feel how hard I can punch? Uh, one of his lines in the movie. Um, let's go with, again, the boring answer is always going to be like an AR-15 or an AK-47. Because it's enough power with enough capacity with enough ease of use. Um, but because they used a weird MP7 in this movie, I'm going to take another weird gun. Give me the FN P90. So it's a bullpup submachine gun shooting that FN 5.7 round. The one I was talking about comparing with the MP7. Give me that. Accurate, powerful enough, lightweight ammo. Has 50 round capacity in a very compact, very reliable platform. Give me that P90. That's what I'm taking as my primary if I'm thrust into this movie. I guess if we're talking about a movie, it has decent screen presence as well because it kind of looks like a space gun because all bullpups look like a space gun. Now, if I had to have a sidearm, you know, the FN 5.7, I've shot them before. They shoot pretty well, um, but they are, like, weird to hold and bulky. And, you know, I, I don't want to do the old oh, P90 and FN 5.7 combo, and I don't want to, I haven't shot the new Ruger 5.7, so I don't want to pick that one. Let's go with, should I go with another weird one? I can do like a, a 22 TCM out of a Arms Corps CZ style. Mm, is that too weird? So Arms Corps, or Rock Island Armory, uh, out of the Philippines, they make a CZ-75 clone that's based on like the EA Witness slash Tanfolio design. And what they use is it's a, 223 or 9mm, it's the same um, head size, necked down to 22. So it's it's basically like a 9mm neck down, but they use 223 brass because it's um, a little bit longer. So that, that way when they neck it, they don't lose brass. Um, so it's basically a 9mm neck down to a 22, and it's supposed to be a pretty slick little round. So if we're talking, let's do that. We're going weird stuff today. FN57 is my primary, or an, um, P90 with the FN57, and another weird bullet that's very similar Give me the 22 TCM out of, uh, oh, you know what? Give me the, their double stack 1911 for good headshots out of that 22 TCM. I'm picking weird stuff on this one. So that's Zombieland for you. Good movie overall. I give it like an A minus. I think you should buy it. If not, definitely watch it. Um, led into a sequel that was pretty good. The guns in it is pr are pretty fun. Obviously, the gun handling is somewhat cowboyish. You know, a little shooting from the hip going for style because it is a comedy movie. But cool guns all the same. And if I had to pick the guns in the movie, give me the uh, the HK MP7. Give me that Benelli M4. Give me that SIG. And if I can take my own, give me a P90. And give me a weird, bizarre 22 TCM. And if you're not going to let me do that one, then... Oh, I don't know. You pick, right? Any 9mm, combat 9mm, let's go with it. So, as always, this is the Internet Movie Firearms Podcast, and I am Dr. Gary signing off. And here on the Internet, we are practicing our First Amendment to practice our Second Amendment. Hope everyone has a good one, and adios.